0: Good morning, church family. My name is Kelly, and our scripture reading today is from John 9, verses one through 40. Let us stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can do work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seen. The man's neighbors brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus heard that the Pharisees had thrown him out of the temple, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What are we blind to? This is the word of God. God. You may be seated.
1: Today I'm going to be talking to you about two of the most important issues in, in our lives. One is the problem of suffering, and the other is the problem of spiritual blindness. Uh, the problem of, of suffering is the issue that many people say keeps them from faith in Jesus altogether. And I've found that sometimes when churchgoers go through extreme suffering, they abandon the faith altogether. Uh, the second issue really is even more important, if you can believe that. I mean, if we have a longer, more lasting point of view, because this, the, the problem of spiritual blindness is what keeps us from knowing God at all. So the episode that Kelly just read to us today addresses both of those issues. In John chapter nine, in this story, we read about a man who was suffering. He was physically blind, he always had been. And then, if you're listening, you notice we read about people who could see physically, but according to Jesus at the end, they were spiritually blind. And I think you already heard what happened in the story as Kelly read it. The blind man ends up seeing, both physically and spiritually, but those who thought they could see, and I think everybody else in their culture really thought if anybody sees, they see, they were deemed by Jesus to be blind. (sighs) Might be a warning for pastor types here. So now, the setting of the story. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles, or what was sometimes called the Festival of Lights. It all plays out in Jerusalem, and and what happened there at the temple and in the synagogues, I'll tell you, was visually awe-inspiring. I'll just show you a picture of of one time that this happened. I'll, I'll tell you about this Feast of Tabernacles. It had many things that it was about. It was a Jewish festival that mainly looked forward to a promised and long-awaited Messiah who was going to bring in a time in this world in which people from every nation would come into the city of God and give praise to the one true God and worship Jehovah. Now, in many ways, it also looked back to a promise that had been made to their forefather Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that through someone coming through his line, all the peoples of this world would be blessed. Now, these lights that would be there at the Festival of of the Lights pointed to the people's conviction that darkness had come into this world that was good when God made it, and it had come about because of human sin. But they believed, and I think rightly believed, that God had drawn them together, the people of Israel, drawn them together into this world with the express purpose to bring light into this dark world. So on this festival, it went for seven, sometimes eight days, the lights would shine forth from their temple, from their synagogues, as sending the message that light is to come not just to a few, but to the entire world. And I'll tell you, based upon a number of passages in the book of Isaiah, they believed that light would come into people's eyes because he kept saying, when Messiah comes, the blind will see. Now, with all that in mind, uh, in the midst of this festival, Jesus back in John chapter 8, verse 12, had, had straightly proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. It's Quite a claim, isn't it? And, and that claim had, as you might imagine, created all sorts of controversy. Who is he to say that kind of thing? So in the midst of this light festival, Jesus in Jerusalem and his disciples came upon a man who had been blind from birth. So we'll start with the problem of suffering. Verse 2. Who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind? Can you picture it? Walking there in the vicinity of the temple, they come upon this blind man. So the disciples ask him the kind of question that I have been asked so often all the years that I have been a a, a pastor. And I've just got to confess to you that it's not just others who have asked me this question, but in the deepest, darkest parts of my soul, there have been times I've asked it too. What caused this man suffering? I mean, the God we believe in is good. Don't you believe that? The God we believe in is also in control of all things. He has power. Why would a God like that allow a person to be born blind? Whose fault is it? Is it, is it his parents' fault? Were they using drugs when they conceived him? <laughs> is it his own fault? And some people really felt maybe there's some way that a person can sin in the womb. Anyway, we read this thing and say, this doesn't seem fair. Fair. And I don't know if you noticed, that those are the only two options the disciples gave to Jesus. Was it directly his own fault Did he sin, or was it directly his parents' fault? See, it's, it's that kind of thinking that all the suffering that we go through is directly related either to our own flaws or our own mistakes or to those who are very, very close to us. It's my parents' fault, and they brought me up uh, this way. I'll just tell you, The effect of that kind of thinking, that all suffering is directly caused by our own sin or by the sin of those really close to us, it's devastating. I mean, it leads to a life of self-pity where we can begin to think that we're always a victim in this world. I'll tell you, if, if you begin thinking like that, it's all due to what happened to my, my parents did to me, or it's all due to a mistake that I made, then we begin to develop this hopeless way of living our lives that we just get trapped in. It's what Pastor Jeff preached about when we came to the message in John chapter five when Jesus met the man down by the pool, and Jesus even had to, had to ask him, do you even want to get well? He developed a way of life. that almost we survived by continuing to live that way. So it leads to self-pity, but I think the main effect of this whole way of thinking that my sin or people close to me, it directly uh, leads to suffering. It just leads to us engaging in unending blame casting. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes people blame themselves. What did I do that made this happen to me? Oh, I've heard that so often, haven't you? Haven't you said it? Sometimes people blame others. What did my husband do to mess my life up this much? Often we blame our parents or our kids. But of course, so many people blame God directly. Because it is true that if we believe in the kind of God that I keep preaching to you week week by week by week, that God is all good, all loving, and at the same time all powerful, then we just can't figure out how on earth does this suffering fit together with that. What's happened is that so many of us who have actually experienced personally the goodness of God, even as we thought about in communion, loving us so much that he sent his son, loving us so much that Jesus gave his life for us, when we think, yes, I've experienced that, it's very real, then the only option we are left with is thinking, that God doesn't have the power to deal with suffering. Something about him is impotent. Uh, I mention this because this was the view of Rabbi Harold Kushner in his best-selling 1981 book. I'll I'll show it to you. It it was read by so many called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, Kushner's position uh, is that uh, God was able to create a beautiful world like we experience. So he was able to do that and provide that for us but that he is limited in terms of what he can actually do in this world. So he writes that when God sees people suffering, he can't prevent all that pain and grief. All that God can do, he wrote, is to be with his people when we need him. In some ways, it sounds good, and there's a measure of truth to that, but I'll tell you, you see the problem If you embrace that, that God isn't all-powerful, you'll soon recognize that it often offers absolutely no hope that God will ever change things in this suffering-filled world. That this ongoing promise that God is going to bring about a new kind of kingdom where there will be no more injustice and always peace will reign, that He won't be able to do it. He may want to bring it about, justice, but he won't be able to accomplish it. Now, I'll tell you, I'm going to give you an all-too-brief. You know, I've taken on big subjects here, so we're going to get kind of a 101 thing. uh, This all-too-brief summary of how I understand the Bible speaking into the suffering of this world. Uh, In its opening chapters, the Bible lets us know something I want you to hold on to, that God did not create a world with suffering in it. However, when the apex of God's creation, do you not, who, what is the apex of God's creation? Look at the people around you. It's when human beings <laughs> made in God's image actually turned away from God, it affected everything else in all creation. Ever since sin, and that's the Bible's word for it, entered this world, nothing, nothing in our world has been quite right. Now, now the world that you and I live in, it still bears a lot of the goodness that God created it in. We, we enjoy it all the t- time. I think we especially enjoy it here in Southern California. But I'm still telling you that in spite of the fact that there's still goodness in God's creation. Nothing in our world is quite the way it's supposed to be. Now, of course, the world that you and I live in here in the 21st century is a world characterized by centuries after centuries of the effects of human beings, leaving God out of our lives and going our own ways. All this is to say that this accumulation of centuries of human sin in general causes all suffering that happens in general. I don't know if you're following me here, so listen carefully. Now, as I often tell us week by week, It's not just the sin of others that affects us. We're all a part of this thing. We both experience the harm that happens because of evil and sin that's been engaged in and continues to be in our world. But the problem is we too engage in it. As the book of Romans says, you and I also still fall short of what God made us to be. Romans 3, we fall short of the glory of God and we affect negatively everybody around us. We, we are a part of this imperfect and suffering filled world. And it's that kind of suffering filled world that, that we live in and further with our own sin, or if I, I can use more contemporary language, we are all dysfunctional parts of what is already a dysfunctional world and is becoming more and more dysfunctional. Can I have a witness about that? <laughs> and even the Bible says, it's not just human beings, all of creation Is affected by the things that we do. We were supposed to have cared for this world as God cared for this world, and we have messed it up. So the book of Romans, chapter 8, says all creation is groaning. That's what it says. It's all groaning for human beings actually to come back to God, to be remade by God, and for everything to be made new. But even though that point is true, that I believe from the depths of my being that all suffering in general is all caused by this sin that has happened in general. Jesus teaches us in this chapter that individual suffering is not always caused by individual sin. Are you with me here? I want you to listen so carefully here because it's so... You know, I don't have that many months to get to talk to you about these things. Uh, This is such an important thing that you grasp. So I'll write it down for you here. Sin in general in this world is responsible for suffering in general, but sin in particular is not always the cause of suffering in particular. I'm looking to see if you're with me here. Sometimes our sin makes us suffer. You drive drunk, you're probably going to cause yourself pain and other people around you. You lie to the people around you and you're going to affect yourself and all of them, you'll have broken relationships. Sometimes our bad choices lead to suffering. But Jesus makes it very clear that this man, being born blind, was not directly related to the fact that he had sinned or that his parents had sinned. I don't know if you're with me here, but I'll tell you there's so much nuance in this. I don't know any other religion that helps us to have a worldview like this. I don't know any other ideology that helps us to, have a, to understand the suffering that comes because of the reality of sin and that we're all a part of it. But at the same time, we don't look at every time that we hurt or have pain or suffer and think I did wrong. If you can embrace this way of looking at the world, it, it changes a lot of things, like what? it begins to remove some of that self-pity that i talk about because you begin to see that the things that go wrong in your life are a part of a larger issue of us living in an imperfect world that needs to be remade i mean, i know we get frustrated when we seem to suffer more than everybody else is suffering but as we all know suffering will come to the others too some day sometime that's the world that we are in And because we have owned the fact as followers of Jesus that we too have fallen short of the glory of God and walked away from God, we know that we deserve it, deserve the pain that is there. Second thing it does is it begins to minimize or relieve all that blame casting. One thing is you don't always revert to beating yourself up whenever something's going wrong. What did I do? Did I not show up at church enough? Did I not listen to the preacher well enough? Well, it might be. We'll just see. But what I find out is that embracing this way of looking at the world, I find that I don't write others off or blame them nearly as quickly as I'm inclined to do, partly because I know that they live in the same imperfect world that I live in, and I don't know what they have grown up with, They might be really irritating to me, but they may have been far more irritated by all the things that have happened to them. I know this when I think about the world the way that I think the Bible tells us to. I blame others less. I empathize more. But the biggest thing that it changes is it, it provides a basis for real hope because different from Kushner's book, we believe that God is still God. God is not impotent. So what happens is you may not see what God is doing right now when when the suffering comes, but you and I hold on to the fact that God is still at work, even in the worst of times, to bring about when he is done what he calls that kingdom of justice. Will it ever come? And he declares, yes, it will work toward it, but I will finish what I've started, and the kingdom of peace, I'll tell you, it's why it's so good to have communion today. Because in communion, don't we see that the greatest injustice in history, a sinless man bearing the sins of others, dying on the cross, is the very thing that God uses to finish his work and to offer us hope. So that Jesus said, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned." this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Uh, Jesus was thereby teaching us that we may not see in times of suffering that God is still there, but he is. We may not see that he is at work to change things. We cannot always perceive with our eyes the fullness of God's presence in that space, the goodness of God even when the pain comes and the promise that he will not leave things the way they are. Jesus really is asking us through eyes of faith that although we may not know or see what God is doing in difficult times in our lives, we can trust that he's there, that he's still at work. Now, I try to always be honest with you, so here, I've gotta tell you as honestly and candidly as I possibly can there have been times in my life when I've been hard pressed to hold on to those biblical truths. I started thinking about those times. There were three years in my life when I had a degenerating pancreas. Mm, The most painful thing I've ever experienced. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. In the midst of some of those attacks, I had a hard time holding on to that. I've told you the story so often, I think the hardest times have been for me when I've had a loss of someone really close to me, especially when it's premature. You know I've told you those stories. And I remember one of the times when it was hardest for me. It was all caused by Pastor Scott White, so I'll I'll go to blame casting right here. I was with Pastor Scott White in Cambodia. And uh, we were doing some ministry, and one day he had some meetings, and he said, Greg, I think you should go over and see the Holocaust Museum in Phnom Penh right right there. So he he just dropped me off by myself, and he went off to his meeting. And I'll never forget as I walked through that Holocaust Museum and, and saw the pictures of what happened, a whole generation being wiped out. Grandparents and and parents being killed by their children who were, so I I looked. At the end of that, I walked out of that space. I sat down on the bench waiting for Scott to come back. I could hardly breathe. I could hardly breathe. I couldn't understand, how could this be God? I've experienced your goodness. I know of your power. How can you allow this sort of thing to happen? But in spite of all those things that I tell you, I, I just want to tell you that I stand here in front of you without any reservation And I tell you that if you come to know God personally, I've written this for you, and we're gonna come to that in just a minute. If you've really come to know God personally, and two, you have this understanding I've talked to you about about the fallenness of our world in general, and three, you know the promise of God to redeem everything and to make it right, if you hold on to those things, You can make it through any kind of suffering in this world, no matter what it throws at you. God is here. Amen. God is making all this rotten stuff new, (laughs) including what's inside you and me. Hallelujah. So you can go through this world. and When suffering comes, what can you do? You can sort of say, well, I hate you other people around you and everybody else including God who's done this to me or you can say I hate me and the mess I've made of my own life or you can turn to God and say I know you I don't know what you're doing Lord but I know you so I'm going to trust you to be at work until your work is done and until that kingdom of justice and peace come that's, that's the beginning thought about the problem of suffering. Let me just say a few words about the bigger problem, the problem of spiritual blindness. So some Pharisees ask, what? Are we blind too? Believe it or not, this issue of spiritual blindness is the most important part of this episode in John chapter 9. I'm only going to be able to say a few words about it. I'll try to pick the most important things. As we have seen in our entire series of messages called signs, the physical healing of this blind man was only a sign. I say only because it was important. I mean, healing, (laughs) taking away the pain, taking away the blindness here, that is significant. But still we've got to see as as enormous as that is. uh, Blindness is only a temporary thing in the plan of God. There's not gonna be any of that in heaven. So too, even the healing in this world is a temporary thing. In this world, when death comes, it takes away the ability to see physically. Are you with me here? Physical blindness will not last forever. Physical healing will not last forever. So there's gotta be something beyond this, where there has to be a forever. If this world is all there is, then death will eventually take away all of our sight. You know what we need? We need eternal sight, right? We need eternal life that can't be taken away. And this physical healing was just a sign. It's a reminder to us that death is not the end of things, that Jesus is the one who has taken away everything that might be stolen from us. Do you see? Do you see? So Jesus healed the man. Kelly, you read this so well. He did it on the Sabbath. I wanted to gasp, oh no, don't do that, Jesus. It's the day when all those religious leaders thought that the most important thing on the Sabbath was not to break all these rules that were there. Don't do any work on it. And and here Jesus is healing somebody on the Sabbath. And this led to a huge dispute that runs all the way from chapter 9, verses 13 to 34. I want you to read it on your own. I'll tell you when you read it, the attitudes that you see there, they're gonna be familiar to you. You're gonna see it in the world around, you're gonna see it sometimes in yourself. But basically this is what happened. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. So this man is a sinner, (laughs) he can't come from God. So, So this healing, whatever this thing is, it must be some other kind of demonic power, but all the people there, it's the feast of tabernacles. Remember, this can't be right. Sinners can't heal the blind, they said. Messiah is supposed to heal the blind. Oh, said those religious leaders, then it must not be this man who was really healed. <laughs> must have been a different man. This must be a case of mistaken identity. And the neighbor says, Well, he sure looks like him, but his parents are here. So they go and ask the parents and say, Well, no, this, this is our son, and he's been blind since birth, but they kind of throw him under the bus here. They don't want to clash with those those religious leaders, they say, he's of age, you go ask him. So they go to the man and they say, all right, you you come clean, you tell the truth. With what kind of trickery has this man deceived us into thinking that you were blind from birth? Because we know, we know he is a sinner. And it brings me, every week I say this, to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This man just said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know, but this I do know. I was blind, and now I see, and implied, and he did it. So the the leaders throw him out of the synagogue for doing that. So here's what I want you to see. This man had been both physically and spiritually blind. So I ask you, which of those is the worst condition? Mm-hmm, yeah, all right. Yeah, it is the spiritual blindness. You, you were right. So what is that? It's this condition of all people on our own. It's what Jesus was talking about when he says we have to be born again. It means all of our senses are, are alive to things in the physical world but not to a spiritual world. So we're spiritually, one part that we're not alive to, we're blind to God. It's a, it's a part of not knowing God. Do you remember I, I said if you know God, you're alive to him then you can make it through the suffering that this world throws at you. Do you know him? Do you know him? So how do you know? Whether you're spiritually blind and if you read through John 9 Jesus sort of points out the text when it points out that it's by the way you can know one of the surest way you can know that you are really alive spiritually that you can see spiritually is the way you respond to sin and grace. Those are two churchy words, aren't they? Sin and grace. But I've got to use them because I don't know how else to talk about it. So if you've come to know that God is holy, one of the ways that you've come to know it is that you look at your own life and you know that you too have done things that are wrong and that they're serious. So these religious leaders were blind because they they couldn't own that. The parents might have been sinners. The man himself might have been. Jesus, they knew he was. not us. We follow Moses, they said. Let me ask you, are you aware of the fact that it's not just other people who need the forgiveness of God? It's not just others out there who cause the problems in this world. It's not just others who have to own up to their past. It's not just others who need to change. If you can't see that, you're almost certainly blind. And it's more than just saying, oh, I know, Pastor Greg, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. No, no. It's it's a much more serious reaction than that. It's where you really know you can't control your life. Even your motives, even the good things you try to do deep down, you know even those are wrong. And you know that there are things in your life that you just can't break from. You need some help from the outside to come in or there's no hope. I'll tell you, when you begin to see spiritually, you begin to own that fact about yourself. Is it true of you? And if so... Those who receive spiritual fact uh, 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 sight not only own the fact I know that I have sinned and it's serious and I can't, I can't change it myself, but then we become alive to grace. That somebody's done something for us we can't do for ourselves and we don't even deserve. That God is not only holy, but he loves you. And he's found a way to show mercy to people like me and you, to forgive us, to declare us right with him, and to make our lives new. We who see know this. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whatever is in your past, whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. It's a life we don't deserve. It's a grace. So I just ask you, are you just, this morning, deeply grateful for the mercy and grace of God, most shown most fully, when Jesus the sinless one died for you? If you see that, you're not spiritually blind. So I'm gonna give you a a spiritual eye test here. I want you to ask, hmm, well I admit that I was ever blind and do I now see as I did not see before? Yeah. Th- those who see can almost always look back and say, ah, oh, there was a time that I didn't see and know that something happened that we do. Can you say as this man did, all I know is this, I was blind, but now, now I'm seeing and he did it, kind of, kind of like this man did. Those religious leaders could not see that. They thought, well, everybody else may be messed up, but not me. But they were blind to themselves as well as to God. And, 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 you know, a text like this just forces you and me to ask, what about us? How did Jesus heal that spiritual blindness? We saw how Jesus had healed the man physically. He spoke a word, and the man obeyed by faith. Uh, You can read about it in verse 7. He heard Jesus say it, and then he went out and washed, and he went home seeing. So physical healing. But but Jesus was not going to lead that man, just physically seeing and spiritually blind. And I'll just tell you, his spiritual healing was a whole lot like his physical healing. He'd hear a word from Jesus and he responded by faith. So I'll, I'll show it to you. I love verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, you love that? that Jesus comes seeking after him? That's what he does. He comes seeking after us. If you've been walking away from him, he's seeking after you today. His love for you is unrelenting. I just love that. He he never leaves us. He comes after us and is ready to let us receive him again. I think this morning God may be saying to many, many who are here today, do you know that I know everything about you that's both right and wrong? And I love you, I want you to see. So, Jesus said to the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you've seen him now. In fact, he's the one who's standing right in front of you. You're speaking with him now. And verse 38 is that declaration, his commitment of faith in Jesus. The man said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. That last phrase is so important. He didn't just believe in his head, he worshiped Jesus, which means entrusting his entire life to Jesus. Entrusting his sins, take away entrusting his future, that he would follow Jesus. So I've thought about this, is that it really starts there. Jesus wants to open your eyes to his reality so that until the suffering of this world is gone, you'll be able to hold on, knowing that God is there, knowing that he knows what he's doing, and knowing that he will not leave things the way that they are. He's ready to open your eyes in spite of whatever has happened in your past, what you even be trapping you right now, that you need forgiveness from, from what you've been doing even this week. He's ready to cleanse you and start with you again. And it is all. It's grace, it's,
2: let me try this. Amazing grace, oh how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, Like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, oh, but now, now I see. What about the suffering? Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already I know his grace will lead me home. I once was lost, oh, but now am found. I was blind. Oh, but now, now I see. Amen. 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 I'll
1: ask the musicians to come up and lead us in a little different version of that, but let me lead us. Father, how thankful we are for your grace grace we don't deserve a grace that opens our eyes a grace that offers us hope father i know there are many people in in the life of our church walking through tough times and they they don't know if they can continue to go on or even to trust you again i pray father that you would renew their spiritual sight for some who have never even begun with you father may this be the day that they like this man will simply say i believe and worship you may this be their day of salvation Father, do your work in all of our lives. Renew our hope because of your grace and through your power in the name of Jesus. Amen.